0: Welcome to the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. The theme for today's episode is fighting back in full speed ahead. Evangelical elites, especially Southern Baptists in the last few weeks, have employed a new range of tactics in responding to so-called discernment blogs, even people like myself who make videos from my wife's laundry room, um, responding in part to social justice infiltration and evangelicalism. And the irony of this whole thing is... Uh, they become more aggressive, um, but yet they are the ones, uh, in every case, who hold more privilege as far as denominational positions, uh, seminary professorships, um, all the the bells and whistles that come with being part of these institutions. Uh, they get the paycheck that comes along with it, and yet they're very adamant right now about stomping out any kind of resistance against the social justice movement that they are involved in and and employing and introducing to these um institutions so um i I think we can have a good laugh about that in a way but it's also sad because it's so contradictory and um, i think it's important for us to know how to identify and respond to the new tactics that are being used and and look this is a food fight and these um these tactics will continue to be used and the heat will really be turned up. Uh, I think things are going to get ugly before the Southern Baptist Convention this year. So let's just be mindful and let's do it um, with with a cheerful disposition. We know Christ is our Lord. And I, I need to remind myself of this because it can get discouraging out there sometimes, but... Um, But Jesus is king, and we are fighting for timeless values. The sufficiency of scripture, the DNA of repentance, all the doctrines that the social justice religion, because that's what it is, challenge. We are standing in opposition to that movement in favor of something. We are positive. We are in favor of biblical Christianity, and as it's been orthodox uh, for the past 2,000 years. Uh, So that's that's what we want to do. And so... um, I'm looking forward to showing you uh, some of these examples that I'm speaking about and getting into the nitty-gritty. Also, uh, I'm going to be examining Russell Moore's latest article, and I actually made up an acronym for um, how to uh, man of straw, obvious target, or be evil, rule to apply, errors in interpretation. There's your sneak peek at what we're going to be talking about later. And this is all, um, obviously, an acronym I made up off of the word Moore. So it's Russell Moore's last name. Before I get into all of that though, I want to talk about something that is perhaps more important. Today marks, I believe it's the 47th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade took place in 1973 and since then over 60 million babies have been murdered legally in the United States. And some of you have a heavy heart like I do um, you could cry just hearing that you 've done everything you know to do you 've written letters you 've gone to your local town and tried to make it a sanctuary city for the unborn you 've you you, you don 't know what to do because you 've done it all and it 's still legal and we don 't have an excuse at this point uh not only for Christians do we have biblical revelation that has told us since it 's been written uh that uh, those in the womb are in fact human beings i think of david saying lord you knew me when you knit me together in my mother's womb i think of uh you know john the baptist jumping for joy when he's in close proximity to jesus in his mother's womb Um, but we have scientific evidence now we know what a zygote is Uh, we have a technology to show women through ultrasound that hey this is a human that you have in you and we're still here um i think some progress is being made I don't know uh, whether it's all for the right reasons, or but, but the point is that um, th- this issue is still a hot-button issue. And one of the signs of progress, actually, is the fact that the President of the United States is attending the March for Life today. And that's never happened before. And whatever you think about Donald Trump, the office of the President is sanctifying this event in a way and saying, yeah, I'm, we're legitimizing it. Um, Because, you know, one of the things I think that took place in years previous, why people like George Bush didn't go to the pro-life rallies is um, it's always been popular to kind of wink at the pro-life movement and say, I'm pro-life, endorse me and receive that endorsement. But to actually show up when when, when it's called for, um, that'll get you kind of in trouble. So if you can have the pro-life people on your side without being too pro-life, in other words... Uh, if if you don't go and um, join with you know with pictures taking uh, you know the, the optics of it pictures of you with all these hayseed rednecks who they're probably bigots and they have this novel idea that children should be able to live um, you know if, if you're in one of those positions it's viewed as compromising you're giving up your modicum of moderation. And the moderates just they don't like that. And you know Donald Trump is someone that I did not vote for in 2016. I was not in a swing state. Maybe that would have changed things. I don't know. But I, I took what I thought was a principled stand. And um, I will. I'm going to be talking about what I'm going to do for 2020 because I I think it will be different. But uh, at the time, that's what I thought. And one of the issues was the pro life issue. I didn't think Donald Trump was truly going to be pro life. (laughs) I I saw those videos of him. back what 15 years ago saying he had new york values he's pro-choice and then all of a sudden he has this conversion to pro-life before running for the republican party i just i didn't believe it but to his credit he's the first one to do this and i think we need to, to give him credit for that whatever his motives are uh he represents the office of the presidency and and he's he's doing what um all the presidents should should be doing really so um so I, I just want to encourage you uh with that you probably are already aware but that's my take on it and um we need to keep fighting this on a local level. I think um the you know I I've, I've been waiting for <laughs> men who don't seem to have spines but men on the local level, on the state level specifically to stand up and say we are not going to have abortion and and that's starting to happen. It's starting. But it's been almost 50 years and we haven't had states willing to nullify uh, on the issue of abortion and then say, make my day. We have states that do it on the issue of marijuana. <laughs> we have cities that do it on the issue of illegal immigration. But um, leftists have always been more, well, in the last hundred years, really, they they've seem to have been more bold in uh, what they're trying to do in, in societal revolution. And they tend to hang together. We tend to be more isolated as conservatives. And, um, and that's why the, the March for Life is important. It's important to uh, get encouragement from people, even like myself, who <laughs> agree with you. You're not crazy. Uh, this is morally wrong. And when God judges uh, this country, uh, if and when he, well, he will. <laughs> but uh, if we live to see it, to see a real judgment, like an Old Testament type judgment, I'm sure over 60 million children will be at the top of that list. And um, so anyway, i um, I wanted wanted to highlight that and i'm going to circle back around to the pro-life issue because i'm going to examine russell moore's article on that later Uh, but let's let's talk about uh, the main theme for today's episode um and this is kind of my my niche right now i guess for lack of a better term by the way before i get into my niche i i actually need to announce this i'm thinking of changing a few things up i'm a very very busy guy right now especially right now um i just I'm not going to bore you with the list of all the things I have going on, but um, but this this is kind of a side project. But I've wanted to become more disciplined and streamlined in what I put out and, and strategic and in giving you positive things that you can share. Shorter, positive videos advocating Christian positions on very so so maybe for example, like let's do one on gun control. Let's do one on was Jesus a socialist? Um, I've been wanting to put out some short, kind of hard hitting um, episodes, and I what I'm going to try to do is put out something a little short, something a little, like something you could share with maybe those who are more moderate or on the fence. Uh, and you could say, hey, check this out. Check out this guy's arguments. And then I want to do kind of make me a longer form discussion, which is what I'm doing today. And they're both going to be helpful for you, but um, it's just, it's an idea that I have. And I do have some hard hitting content coming uh, soon. Uh, not just the SBC. I'm going to do something on the PCA. I'm going to, there's a lot guys, there's a lot, but um just yeah, pray for me, pray for um those who are on local levels trying to fight for the pro-life movement, pray for those in the Southern Baptist Convention and the PCA and those who are hanging tough. I get their emails sometimes, uh, privately saying, Hey, keep going. We're, we're doing what we can behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, God, God is still at work. Uh, there are those who have not bowed the knee to bail. And, um, so with that, uh, being said, let's get to the main topic, which, uh, I know you're waiting for. Um, so Baptist Press puts out this article two weeks ago. I think this is the beginning of the change of tone that we see coming from the elites who want to stamp out any kind of um, questioning. They, the, the article says, explainer, ERLC, George Soros and Evangelical Immigration Table. And the point of the article is that, essentially, George Soros is not funding the Evangelical Immigration Table because Snopes said so. Now, Snopes, uh, they're the ones that fact-check Babylon B, far left. We usually don't take them seriously. And, you know, many media outlets uh, since even 2013 have reported on this and confirmed that, yes, George Soros uh, does fund the evangelical immigration table in part. And I'll give you an example uh, the Blaze right here, National Review, both obviously more on the right. Um, But there's probably like six or seven outlets that have confirmed this. And here's the kicker, though. Look at the Blaze article. The subtitle says, if God can use the jawbone of an ass to achieve his purpose, he can use George Soros, too. Who said that? It was Richard Land. It was the head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission for the Southern Baptist Convention, the ERLC, the one that Russell Moore now heads up. So you have the previous ERLC uh, leader saying that, yes, George Soros funds this in part. And uh, there was another quote I found. It was a guy, it was an ERLC guy today who's saying, no, he doesn't fund it. And someone screenshot a couple years ago him admitting that Soros funded it. So it's like, you can laugh, but it's really sad, honestly. Uh, so, so here's the point though. I'm trying to make. I'm trying to weave a, a narrative. I'm showing you the big picture here. And my question isn't so much about Soros. I mean, the, the reason we are concerned about Soros is because we know he's up to no good. He's for open societies. He's, he wants to import Democrat voters, essentially, people that are more accustomed to socialism and will vote that way. And he's using evangelical immigration table to even just move the needle a little bit. If you can just move it a little bit, then you can, you know, it, we're, the country's at a tipping point and you can change uh, the very character of the country and and this has been proven that illegal immigration has influenced elections and so all that to say um <laughs> this you know i did an episode what a month ago where i talk about the evangelical immigration table and what the, their mission i mean they do things like they'll say well the image of god means you should never deport anyone really the image of god says that no you're, you're taking a concept that's biblical and then you're smuggling in your ethics Underneath that concept and claiming that that's the biblical concept—that's not how you approach the Bible. But that's the ERLC for you, and that is the Evangelical Immigration Table for you. So, all that to say, um, that's the concern. But the the greater narrative that I'm trying to weave here is that they didn't have to respond to any of this. Um, they didn't have to to write this article, but they did. And it's been years that so-called discernment blogs, and and I don't endorse every discernment blog, but. But they, they broad brush and they'll say that it's just all these people are are the same. They're all, you know, just discernment blogs, crazy people, whatever. They're they're all saying, they're all lying. They're all slandering. And, I, and that's just not true, guys. It's just not true. And they could have said this much earlier. Why are they saying it now? Maybe it's because people like Todd Starnes are saying, I don't want to fund George Soros stuff. Don't give to the ERLC. Maybe it's because, I saw it this morning, uh, it Alex McFarland, pastors of Southern Baptist Church. He says, yeah, you know, I, I don't think my church is going to be, we don't give to ERLC, e- e- and you shouldn't either. You know, don't give to the cooperative program if you're an SBC church. Guys, mark my words, I don't think the books will ever be open to us, but they are losing money because of this. And now maybe they're getting it from other places, but... It's got to be hurting them or else, I mean, they hate acknowledging these concerns that so-called discernment blogs have, um, but they, they're now starting to answer them and they're doing so by making, pointing fingers and making accusations. And this is just kind of the beginning. This is also what happened this week. Check this out. Um, Capstone report. Actually, this was last, this was almost two weeks ago now. Capstone report puts out, did Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary um, president lobby a state to accept more refugees? And he had a lead, I guess, in the Republican Party in the in state of Missouri who said, yeah, that's what happened. Jason Allen, the president, came in, of uh, that seminary and he lobbied the governor. And so Jay, so Capstone Report puts this out there. Well, Capstone Report made a mistake. According to them, they put out a retraction and they apologized and said, you know what, we didn't have another source to back this up. And we, you know, we, we're sorry. Um, it was wrong. It was bad journalism. Uh, and I, I think they still don't really know. I mean, it's kind of a he said, she said situation, what actually took place. But, um, it, you know, if you believe what Jason Allen says, and I think there was another third party there who said, hey, this this didn't happen the way Capstone Report is r- reporting it. Um, I don't know if Jason Allen went at another time, where this lead came from. I don't, I'm not aware of any of that. But the point is that Capstone Report could not substantiate the claim and they retracted. They apologized, and you know, good on them for that. You know, we we can wish that they never posted that in the first place, but that uh, but they did the right thing at the end of the day. They didn't double down like some ministries uh, are likely to do. You know, double down and try to. They didn't do that. There was a humble approach. Well, after after they retracted at Capstone Report, this is. January thirteenth, Jason Allen, denominational discourse in the future of the SBC. I'm not going to breathe the you know the whole thing. I'm not going to tell you exactly what's in this. You can read it yourself. But uh, yeah, he's pr- pretty hard, pretty hard on Capstone Report, um, and uh, and and he it's broad enough that he's talking about more than just Capstone Report. If you read it. Al Moeller uh, comes out, uh, reposts a, an article from mbcpathway.com, says, this is the kind of slander that the Southern Baptist Convention cannot endure. This is after, after the retraction, mind you. So very fascinating to me because the, it, it kills these guys. I know it kills these guys to have to come out and acknowledge um, the, the, their so-called enemies, in their minds at least. And because uh, that's the sort of an elitist mentality is like, these guys are so far beneath us. And Jason Allen talks about this in his article. We don't want to legitimize them by mentioning their name, which is why he doesn't mention the name Capstone Report. Um, but they, they, it's hurting them, so they have to respond somehow. And it's, just, it's very hard. It's, it's, it's a tussle for them to figure out what to do. They'd rather ignore, but they're getting to the point they can't. And so it's going to get a little more vicious, I think, uh, moving forward. And um, just as if you're keeping score, by the way, and I'm going to do an episode on Al Mohler at some point uh, soon, but, but if you notice, Al Mohler is almost like a knee jerk reaction when any of the institutions are attacked. Um, he'll circle the wagons around Matt Hall, around Adam Greenway, around Jason Allen, around Danny Aiken. Um, but his friends, John MacArthur, Tom Askell, um, James White, when they're attacked, uh, nothing, silence. Uh, that's interesting. And look, wh- whatever you think about Al Mohler, you need to come up with a paradigm that makes sense of that. So, uh, moving on, though, let's, let's keep talking about uh, what's going on in the SBC. Uh, here's me. I talked about this uh, last week, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I didn't show you these tweets. So I put out this um, montage on what's happening at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Well, Danny Akin comes out right afterward, uh, same day that Jason Allen posted his article. I so appreciate my brother and friend, Walter Strickland. He's a wonderful gift to SCBTS and our convention of churches. Read this article and be blessed. Uh, Malcolm Yarnell uh, from uh, Midwestern, or no, he's from uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, where where Robert Oscar Lopez um, got fired from. He says, we need each other. This is the best theology video I have seen in a good while. Walter Strickland of Southeastern demonstrates why Christians must find their unity in Christ, which means a multi-ethnic Unity, And that was also on January 13th. And, and the point is that they're circling the wagons. They're they're, they're really trying hard to defend. Uh, and Walter Strickland was not the only one in that montage, but he has been the flashpoint for liberation theology being taught in the SBC. So they want to defend him. And um, what, what's more interesting is the character assassination. I talked about that last time, people trying to um, switch the conversation to, well, what about John? What are John's motives? Maybe, like, he's a white supremacist, which is, is absolutely ridiculous. I, I proved that in, in the last video I did, uh, or two videos ago last week. But that's pretty vicious, guys. And there were some, some bigger evangelicals getting into that mix a bit. Um, I got a private email, uh, which, and I'm not going to say who it is or exactly. You know, I'm not going to quote from it at this point or give you the exact nature of it. But someone who was in that montage is very upset at me. I think being very deceitful. And the, we've gone back and forth. And, you know, it's interesting. It, it was kind of like in the first email, I was like, I was basically given till Friday. It almost sounded like it was an insinuation that like, you know, until Friday, which is today, um, like you have to uh, retract and apologize. And all I did was play a clip from from them, you know, in this montage, I didn't really even comment on it. And um, what, what's interesting, I'm not, I'm not going to Tell you all the, there's some really ridiculous things in the email, in my opinion. Um, but what, what, um, the, the main point is there was an el- elitist attitude coming from the gentleman uh, who sent it to me. Um, he's a doctor. I clearly didn't do my homework. I don't know what I'm talking about. And he, th- this man, though, so far has refused to just answer very basic questions about the quotations that were included in that montage and this is i think how we need to proceed we need to be very respectful and i you know i want to be i don't know the guy very well um i just know what he said at southeastern and it it wasn't good um i won't say what it is because then you'll identify who it is at this point and i'm going to kind of keep that under wraps but uh for now but um you know if, if you just stick to the facts if you just stick to this is what you said do you still believe that do you endorse what you said uh, what kind of teaching have you put out there that clarifies what you say? If you just stick to the facts and you're respectful about it, these these guys get angry, man, and it because it, it frustrates them. It, it 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 calls them out and it shows uh, the the utter you know the the futility of um tr- their efforts to uh, object to the material that's been exposed. So that that's two, two pointers I just want to give you is um, you know keep a humble attitude and uh, and, and just stick to the facts uh, when you can. But anyway, so that that was my little uh, scuffle. And then you have uh, this is a guy named Josh Summer, January twenty first. Now this article was picked up by Sovereign Nations, and I reposted it as well. Um, critical theory right under Al Mohler's nose at SBTS by Josh Summer you can go read that article if you want i will put it in the info section if i remember to do that for this video well uh it was an interview um that herschel york uh, who teaches at south uh, southern baptist theological seminary where al Muller is president had put out there and uh, york sits down with uh, Trilia Newbell, I think I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Um, and it's this interview that's filmed. And she, he asks her, she says, tell me, how can churches have been historically and traditionally white Anglo be open to reaching different ethnicities? And I'm um, giving us some advice. Give us some advice. And Newbell responds. Yeah, well, do we have a few days to have this podcast? I think the first thing is repent. If you're struggling to reach your neighbor, why is it uh, what is it that's holding you back? Which a lot of people just don't realize that they're struggling. Maybe they're struggling with the sin of partiality, and uh, and there's more in this. But um, but but the implication is that like if you don't have a diverse congregation, you just need to repent. And uh, and so Josh Summer does I, I think a very balanced analysis of this and shows how um, the whole decentering of whiteness concept and, and critical theory plays into this. And so so he actually tags the professor Herschel York. Hey, this is what I wrote. You know, you care to respond basically. And this is what Herschel York writes. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he says, you know, he starts off, Josh, I do not know you. I am not going to get into a back and forth by tagging me. You obviously want me to see what you think. So I'll respond. And then he goes on. It's a wall of words. And um, he's talking about basically how great the congregation is that he's part of in Kentucky and, um, you know, we are, are in the top 2% in giving to missions. Uh, we're, we're just the greatest place ever. <laughs> His church is so great. And um, and this has been recklessly misinterpreted. He doesn't specifically show why it's been interpreted. Again, um, you can need to listen to the hundreds of hours of my sermons and teachings that can easily be found on the internet to understand this this half an hour video. Uh, and, uh, you know, just rips them apart personally. Um, I hope you remain teachable, whether you accept my words or not. I mean, look, <laughs> this 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 is the kind of attitude that I got uh, from the professor who contacted me regarding the monitor. It was the same thing. It's like, you need to read all my books. It's like, I don't have time to do that. Just tell me what you meant by these words. And, and that's what they don't want to do. And and then Josh wanted to go back and forth more. Uh, we, he just wanted to say, like, hey, could we maybe do like a, a, a video chat or something and talk about this? And he's like, no, I don't have time to do that. So... This is kind of the the lashing out that we're starting uh, to see in uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. They're not ignoring it anymore, which they were for a long time. And I think part of it is this, guys. This is key. The traffic going to so-called discernment blogs versus the traffic going to establishment websites in the convention and uh, a gentleman named Peter Lumpkins uh, put this together, which I'm, I'm thankful for the information. For some reason, I was thinking Peter Lumpkins. I thought, I feel like I've heard that name on like a James White dividing line, like Radio Free Geneva show or something. I, I tend to be more on the reform side of, of that question. I, I, if I'm, my memory serves me, I think Peter Lumpkins is on uh, more of an Arminian side. But here's the thing. We're both, sat, looks like at least, concerned about the social justice infiltration. And he put out a great uh, article with information on it and and here's the information guys. Just check out these numbers. Um is this traffic ranking in the USA is around 83,000. Russell Moore 183,000. Um JD Greer is not even listed. That's not applicable I guess. Uh Baptist Press 39,000. Um SBC Voices 88. Uh Baptist News Global 32. All right. Anyway, there's a, there's just a sample for you. Pulpit and Pen is at 5,000 five thousand seven hundred sixteen Capstone report twenty five thousand the warburg watch one hundred and eleven thousand Reformation charlotte eight thousand guys <laughs> like be encouraged by this look i don't it's not like uh, i'm endorsing every single article on all these websites or anything but what here's what I'm saying though um these are more populist kind of like they're their watchdog websites saying we're, we're paying attention to what's going on in big Eva and Come to our website and we'll show you. And there's a lot more people going to those websites. That's got to bother them. It has got to bother them. Uh, And and this is the encouraging part is there's a lot of people that are just as concerned as you guys. All right. The the folks who watch this and listen to what I have to say, you are in the majority if if what I just showed you is true. Those who are concerned about social justice infiltration, there are more of them. And so, don't pay attention to the Twitter mob. All right, uh, don't don't view that as your barometer for whether people truly care about this or not. Um, it can get discouraging. And I'll tell you, even this week, I was struggling a little with some discouragement. I'm like, man, where are the men? Where are the people that are going to stand up? Why am I doing this? And I just started thinking, like, you know, praise God when I saw this. I'm like, not not only, I mean, the Lord, he he's enough. He should be right. But but look, there there are many who are probably blue-collar workers, working-class people, um, and they haven't bowed the knee. And uh, So anyway, uh, there you go. Uh, There's some encouragement for you. Now, what I'm really waiting for them to react to is this. Eric Metaxas did an interview with Bobby Lopez. Bobby Lopez was the professor that got fired from Southwestern for not towing the ERLC's line on homosexuality being an in, in innate orientation and conversion therapy being bad. Bobby Losa said no, shared his testimony. He was converted from homosexuality uh, to Christianity, but also to heterosexuality. He's got kids. He's got uh, a wife. And 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 so he got in trouble, got fired. Eric Metaxas has a big platform and had him on yesterday. So I'll try to remember to put that in the info section. Go ahead and share that, guys, um, that this is a big deal. And I, I'd be really curious to see what the reaction is going to be on this. Uh but as promised, um, we need to talk a little bit about Russell Moore. And um uh remember uh th- remember this. I'm gonna just explain this to you real quick. So I, I came up with a simple acronym for Moore. Just like how do you how do you examine Russell Moore? He's, he uses all these weasel words, he's so vague, he can say a lot without really saying anything, but he means something. He does a lot of like shadow boxing, like very against ideas that hardly anyone holds. And um so I, I thought What are some good rules of thumb to keep in mind when approaching Russell Moore? Well, here's one. The man of straw. So the the acronym is Moore. So M is the first letter. Man of straw. Man of straw. Look for straw men in Russell Moore uh, articles and podcasts, whatever he puts out there. Because Russell Moore is really good at saying, you know, for example, if we're talking about racism, he'll say, you know, talk about someone who is the most horrible bigot ever. Someone who just thinks that, like... You know, people that come from Mexico must be the scum of the earth. I think he even used that line in, in the article we're about to examine. But they, they're just scum. And, you know, he's like, that's not a Christian position. Well, think to yourself, who, who did you hear last who said, Hispanics are scum? Is there anyone who said that? They literally said that? They, they believe that? They advocate that? Yeah, chances are probably not. And if you do know someone, they're probably really, really fringe. And Russell Moore will treat that position like it's some mainstream problem evangelicals have. Like there's so many of evangelicals out there that just think immigrants are scum so or Hispanics are scum or pick your, I think in this article, I didn't quote it, but it was like prisoners are scum. You know, someone who believes that is wrong. It's like, yeah, they're wrong, but that's a straw man. And, and why are you bringing that up? Why are you, you know, trying to, you're getting your readers to agree with you on something that everyone agrees on just about, and then you're using that to make a point so so look for the man of straw. Um, the second uh, part here is obvious target. So who's Russell Moore obviously talking about when he's vague? Uh, in this particular situation, I, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Donald Trump. But he doesn't wanna say Donald Trump. So he gives describers, he throws things out there to put questions in your mind about someone who, I don't know, would use political power to uh, use the pro-life movement for political power reasons. Well, who might that be? Well, he's doing this the day before Donald Trump is the first president to speak at the pro-life march. We know who he's talking about, okay? So you think through, who, who must he be talking about? Because he used vague vague descriptions, and then he, he hides behind it. All right, so the, the next letter is Oh, so more, so we got man of straw, obvious target, or be evil, or be evil. So this is the false dichotomy. So it's like either agree with me or be evil. So if you don't agree with my plan on how to tackle an issue or my concerns about a certain issue, then you're like that guy who calls prisoners scum. So just be with him. So look out for false dichotomies. So it's it's either individualism or it's communitarianism. You, it's It's one or the other. Um, I'm going to do a video at some point where I point out that that's a false dichotomy. There's actually a tradition uh, which takes into account individual rights that are uh, God given, uh, that parallel responsibilities God has given, and uh, the attachments that um, organically just take place in community. It's not like, well, you know, you're either uh, an Ayn Rand kind of libertarian or you're a a socialist like there's it's not just like those are the only two options and i'm, I'm giving that as one example that gets thrown out there all the time as you're either an individualist or you're communitarian um no there, there's actually that's those aren't the only two positions and there's even uh differences within these supposed positions and russell moore is a master at doing this he, he will throw out false dichotomies and, and in this one he does it with you're either pro-justice or you're pro-family and we need to somehow wed these two together and, and you can't find yourself on really one of the other side or else you're, you're compromising something so so if you're on the pro-family side and you don't care about like black lives matter then well you're not pro-justice so he's, he's describing a label to you and so that this is what's called a false dichotomy all right what's the next one uh we got more we got man of straw obvious target or be evil and then we have rule to apply. R is rule to apply. What's the rule that Russell Moore wants you to apply to situations now? So, um, for example, in the article, uh, the, the podcast—it's a transcript—became of uh, became an article. But the article I'm about to go over with you, what you need to be asking yourself is what? What is he? How does he want you to change after you read that article? What's the interpretive framework he'd like you to apply to situations? What's the rule? And uh, and there might be a few in in this particular one, but one of them I think is uh, he wants you to go through life now and scrutinize those the motivations of people who are pro life are they doing it for power or are they doing it because they're truly pro life um, that's just that 's one of the things now that you're the thought you're going to have in your head that maybe wasn't there before and it can look that co- that can kind of thing can cause conflict um it, within the pro life movement and I'm not saying there's not a legitimate, perhaps, concern there, but um, but but you got to be asking you, yourself: What's the motivation? What's the rule that he wants you to apply? What's the takeaway? And then uh, fifth, uh, we got man of straw, obvious target, or be evil, rule to apply. And then E for more errors in interpretation. Errors in interpretation. Look for it every single time Russell Moore opens his mouth. Look for when he says something like the Imago Dei or something like treating your neighbor like you would want to be treated or he throws out the good samaritan and and or some biblical passage principle something he throws out there and he does not apply it or interpret it correctly and you you got to be paying attention to this because he's really sneaky with how he does it um i i pointed out earlier with the evangelical immigration table they'll throw out like uh, you know, it's wrong to deport because image of God. Well, that's the image of God doesn't say it's wrong to deport. Russell Moore does that kind of thing all the time. So back to the drawing board here, man of straw, obvious target or be evil rule to apply errors of interpretation. And I don't expect everyone, including myself to remember all that, but I thought it was fun and helpful. And uh, maybe when you're watching Russell Moore stuff in the future, it will come to you and you'll remember that. So uh, how do we have discernment and apply these rules? Let's go over this article, and I'm just going to uh, read you some of the quotes. So Russell Moore says, one thing I've noticed happening at the pro-life rally in D.C. is that you'll have you know, two, for lack of a better word, tribes of evangelicals that sometimes will be there. And he says, for lack of a better word, there's pro-family people and there's pro-justice people. So Russell Moore is giving you a, di- a dichotomy off off the top. And then he says, here's what the pro-life people do. They come to you and and they come to him and they say, you know, my church, I can talk about abortion because people sort of politically and culturally are opposed to abortion. But I can't talk about race without causing an poor, And I can't talk about sexual abuse of women without causing an poor.'" And he says, you know, the pro-justice people, they come to me. They say, you know, my church or my setting, it's very easy for me to talk about racism and human trafficking and caring for the poor. But I can't talk about the unborn because, well, there'll, there'll be a backlash happening for people in the congregation about the unborn. Now, um, what's going on here? I, I said before, I think there's a false dichotomy. Actually, what I think is happening is we're also more setting up a false dichotomy, but he wants you to recognize that it's a false dichotomy, and he wants you to buy into um, really this a new synthesis. He wants you to think pro-family is good, pro-justice is good, wed them together, create a synthesis, be both. And really what this is, is a straw man argument, um, the, the, the wedding of these two things. And this debate's been going on for a long time, to be honest with you. I mean, people who are my age who think that, oh, the wisdom of Russell Moore, goodness gracious, we've been so long, we've been under the shackles of fundamentalism. And finally, we, we know how to engage culture. Uh, they just don't realize that this debate was happening through the 70s and 80s. I mean, Ron Sider and uh, Jim Wallace and John Alexander and um, Tony Campolo in the 90s. And you know, the list goes on. There, there, there's a lot of names out there, people who are trying this very tactic why can't we be um, pro-life, so like anti-abortion, but at the same time be uh, pro-women and, and increase women's healthcare and be pro, uh, you know, nuclear disarmament because that's a pro-life issue, and they just like smuggle in like every kind of leftist concern and platform into this pro-life cause, and they, what they do is they take quality of life issues and they uh, put them on the same uh, platform, the same moral high ground as. Uh, a life issue, an actual life issue. And and there's no comparison there. I mean, the Bible is very clear about the image of God being violated by if you shed man's blood by man, your blood shall be shed. Murder is wrong. Government does not bear the sword in vain. Like there's a clear um, pattern in scripture of calling this evil and murder. Um, And and it's an unjust killing of someone, right? Taking someone's life, direct uh, violation. And if you want to say euthanasia issues are in there, yeah, they are because that's murder, right? It's in that category. But how would you feel if someone? Let, let let's use this example. Let, what if someone came, you know nineteen forty three and someone said, well, you know, you got you got your pro Nazi side, <laughs> and then you got your your pro Jew side, and you know the Nazis had a green movement. Hitler was into animal rights. You know, um, th- those are also life issues. And uh, you know the Dietrich Bonhoeffers, they, they they come to me. They tell me, you know, man, I can't talk about the whole pro life, uh, or rather, I can't talk about the pro uh, vegetarian and, and animal rights in in my congregation because you know they're just so concerned about the jews <laughs> and then you know a nazi come, p- pastor come to you and say well you know i can talk about uh what's happening with with animal rights and but i, but I can't talk about uh what's happening with the holocaust you, you would laugh that out of the room that logic you'd say that's ridiculous there's a holocaust going on forget about your plants and go save some people and it, it i just want to kind of morally shock you out of i think the spell russell moore is trying to put on, on you um, remember there's over 60 million dead people uh, legally killed and you know we're gonna put you know the, all these other issues on the same level as that these quality of life issues now the other thing going on here and you need to recognize it is that there there's a reason there's supposedly two groups and they're they're more or less separate and it's because there's two basic um, understandings or worldviews if you want to use that word or there's two basic philosophies that um, these that people are coming at this with. Now, overwhelmingly, most of the people are pro-family. They're not this pro-justice side. Russell Moore's talking about. And there's a, there's some people like that, but a lot of pro-family people at the March for Life. And the reason that that issue, um, I think, has resonated in in that community, in a conservative community uh, that believes in kind of a limited government. Uh, which uh, they, they find the responsibilities to, to government outlined in scripture, and they want those limitations. They believe in rights uh, being um, wedded to responsibilities God has given. I mean, there's, there's really is a tradition that goes back to a biblical understanding of government that these guys have. And life is, is just the premier thing that government should defend. And to have government not defending it, to, to actually forcing local municipalities and states to not do their jobs from a national government uh, be, be, in order to allow murder to happen, that's just uh, that's unconscionable. And so for someone um, who's trying to operate from a biblical framework to be against abortion and to also be uh, against, let's say, um, welfare, uh, that uh, the, the kind of, of welfare that is uh, from the top down, federal, uh, that, let's say, does not um, take into account whether someone's working or not. It actually rewards, it incentivizes people not to work. I mean that's anti-biblical as well, um, and and I could even make an argument that that's denying someone their dignity. They should there's dignity in work, and so the, anyway, I don't want to get on every single issue here, but I, I just want to make the point that there's actually a consistency in the pro-family side, and to say that that kind of person, well, you're just not you know concerned about the poor, caring for the poor. It's like that person you know may they may be the biggest charitable givers ever. Um, so, so watch out for those those weasel words when someone says, well, caring for the poor is... No, 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 no. One side, the pro-supposedly justice side, does not have a monopoly on caring for the poor. The pro-family side, actually, in general, from what I've observed, um, they have another way to care for the poor. It's called being in localized communities, especially families, and it's called working and supporting a safety net um, for those... Uh, who uh you know for for special situations, but it's on a local level uh, it's more it's it's more vetted it's more um those safety nets uh, should have some kind of a, a work attached to them or, or an understanding that this person is looking for employment so their work is to look for employment so so anyways um that is is actually caring for the poor right so so also more is, is being sneaky here I think. Uh, and, and you hear this all the time about like Republicans, they just don't care about minorities, they just don't care about the poor, they just, and really what it is, is they don't agree with the um, problems that are identified by the left and the supposed solutions to those problems, because they're smart enough to see some cures are worse than diseases, and you create generational welfare when you when the government becomes the daddy, right? So there, there's, there's all sorts of complexities that Russell Moore is just brushing over and saying... Yeah, you know those, those pro-justice people who care about the poor where what what so the pro-family people don't so i i want to point that out that's very sneaky and um if we're if we're operating by uh the acronym uh you'd be looking at man of straw and or be evil man of straw and or be evil because he sets up a straw man that we're supposed to be against uh both these sides they're both you know these these straw men and then we're going to create a synthesis And uh, if you don't go along with that, well, you're just evil, man. You just don't care. You don't care uh, about uh, poor people, I guess. All right. So then he says, in the pro-life movement, we're constantly asking ourselves, who are the people that we don't want to think about? Hmm. In the same way, uh, when an abortion culture says, let's just not think about unborn children, let's call them clinical words and try to find some ways to erase them from our minds. Where is that tendency showing up in us? This is where Russell Moore thinks he's being prophetic. Uh, you know, I'm going to speak truth to the church. And, he, and he's using us to kind of like soften the blow. So I'm, in, I'm involved in this too. Like well, us, us evangelicals. Uh, really, it's, it's us on the pro-family side. You know, where's that tendency in us? We, we remember the babies, but do we forget about A, B, or C? So, so let's keep reading here. Let's see what he means by uh, what kinds of groups he may be thinking about. He says, you believe that the unborn child bears the image of God and rightly so, Uh, and you want to protect the life of that unborn child, and rightly so. Therefore, care about people in your neighborhoods who are racially different than you. Um, and that maybe uh, the people around you would say, they don't matter, don't care about them. Now, which one are we looking for here? What's he talking about? Well, this is kind of like a straw man again. Who are those people who say to you, they don't matter? Those racially different people, man you know, we don't care about them. They don't matter at all. (laughs) Like who are those? I mean, is his name Bob? Does he live out in Oklahoma? Like where, where is this person? Like, and and this is, I think what confuses a lot of people when they read this, they're like, who's he shadow boxing? Well, he's trying to, to get you to agree on something you already with him on something you already know innately that that's, that kind of attitude is wrong. Right. But he wants you to stand against it. But is it really that, I mean, we're talking about over 60 million babies. And then he's saying, yeah, there's these people going around saying, you know, racially different people. They just don't matter, don't care about them. Who is he talking about? And, and here's where you also need to realize the rule, um, the obvious target. Who, who is it? Is it Republicans? Is it Donald Trump? Is it, you know, he's, he's angry about something. There's, there's some person that fits this description who he thinks is an actual major problem in your life. You know, they're, they're, there's enough of them around there that you hear this. It's not Bob out in Oklahoma. <laughs> it, it's a force of some kind. And I'd like to suggest to you, it's, it's got to be people who uh, don't go along with uh, maybe um, quotas and affirmative action. And maybe they think those monuments should stay up and, you know, pick your issue. But that's who he's talking about. Uh, all right, so there's there's a reason. And, and how do I know that, by the way? I should probably reiterate this. Just how do I know that? I know that because he's treating them like they're a big force uh, that somehow is influencing things on the pro-family side. And yet, you and I probably can't hardly think of anyone who fits this bill who would say something like that, who's even who has influence. That's why I know that. All right, there's a reason why most evangelical Protestants were nowhere to be found at Roe v. Wade with some notable exceptions and why there was often on the other side, the pro-abortion side of the equation, well, uh, why? Why, he, he asks, Is it uh, because um, you had people talk about the image of God, they would talk about family stability and sexual morality and all those sorts of things, but they would not, they were not equipped to see how that applies to the unborn child. They averted their eyes from that. And here's the key quote. In order for evangelicals to be ready to speak a prophetic word against Roe v. Wade, they had to have a theology of human life, and they didn't for the most part. Now, I think he might be onto something partially here. Um, Yeah, you know, it took some of these even religious right leaders, it took them a little while to start responding. But there's actually, I think, another reason for it that he's ignoring. And that is, there's an anti-revolutionary tendency evangelicals had, especially in the 60s and into the 70s. And, And part of it, I think, comes from just a biblical teaching. Like, Paul wasn't a revolutionary. Jesus wasn't a revolutionary. Like they didn't overturn the social structures of their day, um, the the oppressive systems of their day. They actually wanted you to be salt and light in those systems. Now, it doesn't mean that they didn't stand for the truth or that um, they didn't you know have a uh, public theology. I think they did, but it was more um, the the idea of let's immediately you know take our signs and go um, protest something. That's just not how they are. And I think that was an impulse in evangelicalism, right or wrong. I think it was, and. Um, I think it, it with the, the Roe v. Wade being passed, it took some time for people to realize, for it to work its way into uh, conservative communities, for them to start really realizing, wait a minute, this is affecting someone I know. Someone I know just had an abortion. That takes a few years. And for them to now see it in their local life, uh, I think the same thing with the, the prayer, the school prayer issue. It's, um and uh, the the whole, uh, there was a lawsuit, I think it was in Florida, where, um there was a, a Christian school that was also, um, it was a big flashpoint in the 70s, uh, was being sued because they were supposedly violating uh, civil rights. Um, because And it wasn't based on uh, a racial issue. It was a religious test and so forth. So it, all that to say, um, th- th- all these issues are kind of hitting evangelicals, uh, working class evangelicals at the same time. And they're realizing they're a community, the people they know around them. This isn't an abstract thing. This is my real everyday life. It's hitting them and that's when they're saying hey national government get out of my community stop imposing these things we don't want to see you around here we we're fine where we're at leave us alone and so it was actually not this kind of um it it wasn't as much of a uh let's let's go and change washington uh because uh, we're revolutionaries and we're just gonna overturn things it was more like hey revolutionaries have changed things and we're gonna Put a stopgap measure in. We're going to stop them from doing what they're trying to do. It was that's why it was a conservative move and a populist move. All right, all that to say, and I know I waxed long about that. Russell Moore, though, I don't think sees that as much because he is a modern state kind of propositional nation, um, top-down abstract principles kind of guy. He's not a populist. He's an elitist, and. He. that's why I think he looks at these kinds of issues and he says things like this, that, well, they just didn't, they just didn't know. They, there was some information missing from them um, that they didn't speak out right away. Um, almost like you you have to have this impulse right away to lash out or else like it, it doesn't like if a rule is violated, you must immediately stand up against it. And people aren't working class, people especially just weren't wired that way. Um, And so anyway, um, I could say a lot more about that. Maybe I'll do a program on it one day. But I think because Russell Moore is missing, I think, a crucial angle to all this. All right. So something else Russell Moore says. He says, uh, so when we're asking who is my neighbor, uh, the answer is those who are bearing the image of God and are vulnerable and hurting in front of us. Those who are hurting. Yes. And often the people that we don't want to acknowledge at all, are there people that you don't want to acknowledge? Again, this is, we're setting up, I think, the straw man. And he's using the we to soften the blow, the corporate nature of this. Now, why don't we? Why don't we? He says, well, there are all sorts of reasons. Now, listen to this, guys. But one of the reasons is a tendency towards a herd mentality. In John 12, John tells us about, how, uh, about people who, hearing Jesus teach, they didn't commit themselves to Jesus because they were afraid that they would be put out of the synagogue, that they would um, uh, lose their place in the tribe. And the reason for that, John says, is that because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God, there's a fallen human tendency to say, what is my herd and what is my tribe? And so let me just adapt myself completely to that herd and to that tribe. Who's he talking about? This is where we have to apply uh, the rule, obvious target. Who's he talking about? People who just want power. Uh, I mean, he's talking about, I think people, well, it's, it's the herd mentality. It's, it's people that they're, they're just going to stick to, uh, the people that are like them. He's talking to the pro family side. He's saying there's some bad motivations. He's putting the, the thought in their mind, in your mind that maybe you have a bad motivation. Maybe you're, you know, you're not thinking about the person who's hurting. Uh, because because you just want to stick with your herd. Or maybe it's because we're not abstract thinkers who just are uh, c- constantly are mulling over in our heads, uh, well, who's not being treated equally somewhere and what can I do about it? Maybe most people have families they're providing for, they're working every day, they're doing their best to give to their church. And if someone comes across their path who God has ordained through his providence for them to minister to, they'll minister to them but they're not the kind of people that have the time to go and get behind every single cause there is out there. And maybe the last gasping breath they have is, you know what, the pro-life thing's really important. This is murder, I'm gonna try to give a little time to that. How dare someone take someone like that and then starts putting into their mind the idea that, well, maybe, maybe maybe you're the problem. Maybe because you have a selfish herd mentality. The herd mentality. So it's creating a new reason for why you might be the way that you are, and of course, no one wants to have the herd mentality. So, um, so, so, so you'll you can change your position because it's kind of like or be evil. It's the, it's add other rule. It's like or be evil. It's like either um, e- either care about uh, these specific examples of quality of life issues or or be evil because you just care maybe about the herd mentality. So he says here, I won't talk about the who is my neighbor question when it applies to, say, race or to, say, the disabled or to, say, the elderly person with Alzheimer's who is being ignored or in some cases around the world is actually being killed. (laughs) So he's putting some meat on the bones here. He's getting a little more specific. You know, the elderly person with Alzheimer's. Now, that working class person who doesn't have all the time in the world, um, it'd be great. I know some people, some great people who go to nursing homes and they minister. But (laughs) if you don't go and minister, is it because of the herd mentality? Um, He's acting like there's this big group of people who refuse. And he's part part of that group. It's we. He's saying he's part of that group, right? So it's either the Southern Baptists or it's the pro-family people or it's evangelicals. Like there's this big group out there. And because of the herd mentality, they're refusing to, to minister to the people with Alzheimer's. That's what he's saying. Um, He's saying uh, also, he says, well, that's not uh, teaching one another. And that's not actually standing up for human life. That's just standing up uh, for whatever the political values are of the group that you're with at the time. If you're you're pro-life for the reason of the herd mentality, that is. He goes on, he says, and what that actually means is that what we're saying is that your visibility to us is based upon your power. The power that comes with whether or not a majority of the people around me right now want to talk about you, that's Planned Parenthood. That's not That that, um, not only isn't an alternative to the pro-abortion mindset, that is the pro-abortion mindset. If unborn children are useful to you, so you talk about abortion, then you're not really talking about abortion. You're talking about using these unborn children. All right, I've had it. (laughs) That's it. He's saying if you are pro-life and you speak about pro-life things because... Um, you're for the purpose of power and you're using these children you don't really believe in the pro- pro-life cause well you're the same as Planned Parenthood. Guys that is that those two things are not morally equivalent. They're not morally equivalent. Um, murdering if you speak against the um, killing of the Jews in Europe and you're only doing it because you know people will agree with you in America you're just as bad as the Nazis. Does that work? Nope. No it doesn't work. And uh, again, uh, who, well, who's the obvious target here? I think it's Donald Trump. Who's he? To, who is he talking about? Politicians? Who, who's because he switched from the we. He was saying we have this problem, we have this, and he started to go to you. If you do this, if you do that, who's the you? He does these switcheroos where he talks. He gets you on your side because like we don't want to be bigots. Oh no, no, we don't. And then he switches it to if you and you start, and that's when you start. After you've kind of started to drink the medicine, you're you're now uh, it's going down, and you start thinking, yeah, yeah, it's an us them thing. It's it starts with us, 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 and then he starts making the switch to them, and and um, so and the you is part of that separation, I think. But I think the obvious target he's talking about the day before Trump is the first president to speak at the pro life rally. Who do you think it is? Who do you think he's talking about using the pro life? Uh, position and speaking about it with wrong motives. All right, uh, we're almost done here. Uh, when we say every human being bears the image of God, every human being bears dignity. Our children are watching and saying, "Okay, does that appear to, to to the stripper who's being trafficked down the street? If she shows up in your church, do you see her? Does that apply to the guy who has AIDS and wants to hear the gospel? Does that apply to the child with cognitive disabilities who is was yelling in the middle of the worship service? Or are you going to say those people are not useful to me?" Those people disrupt what it is that we want to do. I mean, I mean, a child yelling could disrupt the service. I, I'm just saying. Um, therefore, we're going to ignore them and move them to the side. Who says that? Who says that? Who says, child's yelling in the worship service. We're going to ignore them because they're not useful to me. <laughs> I mean, he must have been in the worst churches I've ever heard of. I've never been, I've been in, I don't know, how many churches have I been a member of? I've moved around a lot, so I've never heard anything remotely close to that ever. Um, of course, you're going to move someone to the side if they're disrupting a service, but you're going to tackle that afterward, hopefully, with the elders, right? Like, I, I've seen this happen, and I've seen the way it's handled, and that's usually how it's handled. Um, but it's the shadow boxing thing. It's the straw man being set up once again and, um, and, and trying to flatline. Flatlining sin. Abortions here. Well, so is uh, someone getting up and disrupting the service, I guess. It's, it's kind of disgusting, to be honest with you. The more, you know, yeah. <laughs> so um, let, let's go over. Let's see. We got two more quotes here. Um, he says to care about human life doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to agree on what healthcare system model ought to look like. But it does mean that we agree that sick people matter. Okay, but you're saying so who are the people that are saying that sick people don't matter then, right? Because it doesn't everyone say sick people? Everyone gets sick. Everyone thinks sick people matter at some point. Um, it doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to agree on what sorts of affirmative action programs we ought to have in our colleges and universities. But it has, uh, has to mean that we understand and know that black lives matter, black people matter. Now, look, guys, that sentence is really disturbing. And here's why. He says, um, he, he doesn't say whether affirmative action is legitimate or not right he's not saying like some people don't think affirmative action is good for the communities that it's supposed to serve because it's not what he actually says uh instead is um what sorts of affirmative action programs we ought to have he's assuming from the get-go that affirmative action is necessary that we should have that it's just what sorts of programs so he's giving himself away here um and what he believes um and uh, the black, using the phrase Black Lives Matter, he knows that that's a a, a a weasel word. He knows that there is an organization called Black Lives Matter, and that everyone associates the term with that organization. That is is also pro LGBTQ plus. Um, it has also promoted violence. Um, also has uh, you know tons of other problems with it that are anti Christian. And he knows by bringing up that word that that's what he's evoking. It, it's it's strategic. Um, but we, we should all, yeah, yeah, of course, black lives, of course, black people matter, obviously, but to use the phrase, the way he's using it, it's, it's sneaky. (laughs) It's, um, you know, we should all be in favor of that organization somehow. And those who use that word on a daily basis, is that what he's saying? We don't know. Uh, he says, it doesn't necessarily mean that we agree on how many immigrants ought to come into the country every year, but it has to mean that the lives of immigrants and strangers and sojourners matter to God and ought to matter to us. Is there anyone who says that immigrants don't matter to them? And he says, eh, I just don't those lives don't matter to me. Someone out there who's saying black lives don't matter to me at all. No, it's usually people who say, I don't. I disagree with that organization. I think all lives matter, including black lives. And I don't agree with the the um narrowing it down to this one issue to then try to use it as a wedge by which to attack police officers and say that they don't care about it Ah, yeah yeah all right uh let's let's get to the end of this uh so we can't be the people who say these people are parasites <laughs> oh my gosh there it is who who is he talking about who is the straw man who's out there this evil person He's saying it's us, it's we. We are saying, guys, the only way that this logic makes sense is you don't give in to the Democratic Party solutions to these supposed problems. That's the only way that this makes any sense. Russell Moore is showing his true colors in this article. I hope you see it. So we can't be the people that say that these people are parasites. We have to say these are the people created in the image of God. So there's your false dichotomy. There it is, boom. Uh that's um the or be evil. Like. Uh, it's either they're parasites or image of God. And you got to support if you, if you like, if you don't support affirmative action on some level, eh, they're parasites. You're in that group. I'm sure, you know, Russell Moore may be a nice guy. I don't know, but this, his logic is, is just downright evil. Um, If the majority decides who a person is, then that's called pro-abortion, regardless of whether or not you call yourself pro-life or not. So if we are going to combat that, we can't say, well, I'm pro-life or I'm pro-justice. We have to say, we're we're pro-life, we're pro-justice, we're pro-family. There it is, the synthesis. We're pro-vulnerable, we're pro-Jesus. And our question cannot be, well, who then is my neighbor? The pro-life movement can only go forward by saying the life of every person is bound up in the question of who God is and therefore matters. So there's your takeaway there is the rule to apply and you also probably notice errors in interpretation with just he just throws out image of god and just you know hey image of god means affirmative action i guess um the rule to apply is uh, the takeaway is you got to be pro-justice and pro-family so when you walk away from the article you think man i'm not going to be like those people who they, they think other people are parasites man, i'm not i don't want to be that and he's putting the, the thought in your mind that you could be that person because he uses we a lot. And then at the, at the end of it, you're convinced at that point, like, I, I just don't want to be that evil person. I am going to be pro-justice too. I'm going to attack that on. And that means, according to Russell Moore, that means I'm going to support at least some kind of affirmative action. Um, and uh, I'm going to care about immigration. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's very vague. Now, that, it opens the door. Now, if you keep listening to Russell Moore, you're going to find out, oh, evangelical immigration table. I'll take their platform and uh and so i I think this is a a purposeful calculated move right before the march for life uh to knock those who uh, the majority who are there who are pro-family and uh, we got to see it guys we got to see it because it is changing the face of evangelicalism and uh, it will continue uh to do so i'm afraid so to reiterate to go over uh, I'll show you one more time. Man of straw, obvious target, or, or be evil. Rule to apply, errors in interpretation. That is how you analyze a Russell Moore article. And that is the end of my slideshow. I have no more material for you uh, today. Um, I do want to play one thing, though, for you. Uh, because if, you're, <laughs> if you are uh, subscribed to me on Facebook, then you would have seen this. But if you're on YouTube, you would have not have seen this. So I'm going to play a montage um that uh i i just threw it together real quick uh last um, i guess it was monday it was mlk junior day and uh it's just showing some of mlk's beliefs contrasted with some of the modern social justice warriors and what they believe and you might find it kind of humorous because um they're not quite in lockstep they, they kind of contradict each other so the, the same people that love mlk and will excuse his heresy and his running around on his wife and his plagiarism and use him and say, you know, he he's our hero. Um, they actually don't believe what MLK taught in in every sense from the M, the I Have a Dream speech, and uh, and you're going to see that. So I'm going to end with that. Hopefully uh, you enjoy. Stay tuned. Lots more content coming. And and last but not least, for Patreon supporters, if you become a Patreon supporter uh, in the month of January and February, um, I would like to send you a copy of Uh, a book by Mark David Hall, uh, called, uh, did America have a Christian founding? And I did an interview with him on the last podcast. I'd like to send that to you. And uh, as a thank you, uh, if you become a Patreon supporter of $5 a month or more, uh, it helps me out helps. Uh, there's a guys, there's a lot that's going on. I've been asked to speak at some things and to, to be at some conferences this year. And, uh, there's travel expenses involved in that and everything else. Um, you guys have helped me in that tremendously. I'm not making any money off of any of this at all. Um, but I, uh, it, does, it does help with the logistical things. And so I appreciate it so much. Thank you. And uh, let me know. If you're a current Patreon supporter, please uh, email me. Just let me know you'd like a copy of that book, and I'll be sure to get it to you. God bless.
1: I still have a dream. Yeah. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. Them red and white bars ain't liberty, nor land of the free, but home to the brave enough to say that they pledge allegiance somewhere else. My country tears of thee, sweet land of liberty of thee I sing, land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrims' pride, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. How is it now that there seems to be a strange convergence between nationalism and Christianity in America? I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. For every one book that you read by an Anglo, I need you to read two books by a non-Anglo. I have a dream that one day on the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. You are sons and daughters of those who murdered Martin Luther King, Jr. Fill up then the measure of your slaveholding and segregationist fathers and mothers, you racists, you racial moderates. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? If you really want to go all the way down and say I'm only responsible for what I have done and only I have done, there is no gospel. We will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. Uh, an African American cannot thrive in a white evangelical space. It's just a matter of time before I hit the brick wall, you know. Mm-hmm. All my assimilation and everything I'm st- somebody's still going to call me the N-word somewhere along the line. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I think a lot of white men, especially seminarians, have to die to the idea of being the pastor of a multi-ethnic church. Mm. Um, and for, I once told a white friend of mine that that's the one thing in the, in the United States of America that it probably was a good idea for him not to do. Uh, he began to weep and cry because he had never been told that there was something that he can't do in America. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. If you live in the middle of a place that is just overwhelmingly white, there's hardly any people of color where you live at all in your town. This sounds like a harsh thing to say, but you probably should not adopt Hmm. a non-white kid.